HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Ithaca, New York boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation among 150 waterfalls. Plan your trip today with help from visitithaca.com. This is Dana Cowan, host of Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. I've been a part of the HRN community for a couple of years now, and even after all that time, I'm constantly inspired by the incredible voices on our network. Each week, I record my show with a window out onto people eating pizza. Why is that important? Because this is food radio. I am excited to bring the listeners incredible stories from women in hospitality, people who care enormously about food, where it comes from, and the stories behind it. All of us here at HRN make food radio because we love it. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary, but we need your support to keep food radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Here's how you do it. You go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate and do that right now. You can even show some love for my show by selecting Speaking Broadly in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview an extraordinary woman whose journey fascinates me, inspires me, and makes me a better person. Today, I am excited to be in Charleston, South Carolina at the FAB conference, where I'm surrounded by extraordinary women, but I've chosen a couple to highlight here. One with me today is the extraordinary Crystal Mack. Crystal is a food artist, and I discovered her work and her pie, um, which is what she was known for first. Artist pie. Those things go together. Crystal, (laughs) welcome to Speaking Broadly. Thank you for having me, Dana. So I want to hear what was the first thing that drew you to food. Um, The first thing that drew me to food was the comfort that it brought me, um, the joy and the comfort that it brought me. 
I've always been someone who's fascinated by the process of food, how it was created, and also how it brings people together. Um, but as I aged, as I got older, um, and like and you're not being, very old, right? No, now. I'm not. <laughs> not very old, mid thirties. Uh, but as I as I got older, I would say in my early twenties, um, I really started to like you know young single girl in the city, in Baltimore City, um, wanted to treat myself, take myself out to dinner. And then over time, I realized how expensive that was. <laughs> um, so I really just started to uh, build my own cooking skills. So building up a collection of cookbooks, um, using YouTube, Food and Wine, Bon App, you know, all of the magazines, um, getting subscriptions, picking them up off of newsstands, and just really diving deep into recipes and the stories connected to them. One of the stories that really touched me that seemed cosmic mm-hmm. was when your car was broken into. Oh, yeah. And, and many things were stolen, but one thing was saved. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, I was working in Southeast D.C. at a restaurant, and I was in a rush um, to get into work, and in that rush, I left a backpack in my car, and the backpack had my laptop in it. Um, and when I had gotten off of from that shift, off of work that, that night, um, I got to my car, got in my car, and was ready to pull off, but I just felt this cold rush of air, and I looked over, and someone had broken into my car. And... Um, I was like super heartbroken, but the one thing that fell out of the bag was Leah Chase's cookbook. <laughs> I know, I was, I was like, it was a Leah Chase cookbook that she actually signed um, earlier that summer. She was on a cookbook tour because the Dookie Chase cookbook had just been released, and she had another cookbook um, that was called And Still I Cook, kind of like And Still I Rise, uh, Maya Angelou. Um, and that book I hadn't quite yet cracked open because I was still going through the Dookie Chase cookbook. Um, but that night I took it home and it was a few days before into the new year of 2000. So it was like the end of 2017. And as we had spoken about before, I had such a crazy 2017. I lost my father um, that summer, about a week or so before Father's Day. And then about a month or two later, I closed my bakery. And so it was just a a year of great loss. And then it was two days before uh, the new year and I was losing, you know, I'd lost my laptop, which essentially had all of my business documents, photos, you know, things that I knew I just could never get back or I could get back, but would be a pain to um, acquire. So it just really, it really was just like, what a way to end the year, you know? Like, of course, it's just only right that I close out the year with more loss. But that book, um, I took it home, and New Year's Eve, I took it home and read it all the way through, and every chapter just was so full of inspiring uh, messages and stories. And What were some of the ones that inspired you the most? Um, the ones that because inspired me... Miss Chase passed away. Yeah, yeah. Just a couple of weeks ago, which made it you know, even more poignant to have this reminder of her. Yeah. And the way also she really inspired you. Yeah, she was such a she was such a brave, bold woman and she was so sassy. Like she really didn't take any mess from anybody. Um and I really admired that, especially excuse me, especially in a time where, you know, as a black woman, 
that was not really expected, you know, in the 60s, 50s. You know, it was more about black men taking charge, if anything, um, if they could, even with the way the laws were set up in our country. Um, and, you know, and black women playing a supporting role, but she really took a leading role in being a safe space for um, the civil rights community and the food community in Charleston. Oh, not Charleston, excuse me, in New, New Orleans. Orleans. And um, so the thing, the the passage that really stood out to me is um, when she spoke of challenges being like a tough piece of meat and having to work through them. Um, you don't give it up. You know, you just, you work through it and you season it and you uh, you turn it into a beautiful beautiful roast and that is how life is made beautiful you know you work through those challenges and you just um you persevere and you come out on the other side stronger better for it and i mean just like we mentioned on the panel yesterday when you do have a challenge for me when i'm faced with some type of obstacle in my mind now having gone through a few challenges in life um i just see it as like a an more interesting element to the story you know I, I laugh to myself and say okay this will make this makes the book more interesting <laughs> not that I'm actively working on a book but if I were to ever write a book it would just I'd have a a, a huge amount of things to pull from for um, overcoming lows I'm wondering because you have chosen the path as food artist mm -hmm. and you express yourself in many many mediums mm -hmm. they transit through food mm -hmm. but they're not exclusively food. right right and so uh you're a poet you're a woodworker um you're you know you may you create food uh i'm wondering how um in your own work you've translated this feeling of loss and illness as sort of a process to get to the other side um well for me the um Actually, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about the um, cleansing power of smoke um, spiritually. And that's something that I'm actually going to be focusing on soon in August. I'm going to be including that in the part of my residency at uh, Marble House Projects in Vermont. Um, so it's an artist residency that I'll be doing there for a few weeks. And my focus in that regard will be um, kind of a culmination of the past two years now, I guess, um, formerly creating work that is going to touch on my healing process and my journey from uh, 2017, the closing of Black Sugar and the passing of my father, to now. Um, so I, for me, it'll be um, smoking woods and using those, uh, or smoking, well, using certain types of wood for smoking um fruits, vegetables, desserts I have in mind, um, but then also creating um, utensils out of those, the same woods that the um, items are smoked with. So thinking about how we can fully consume something in the cleansing power of smoke and healing our bodies in that way, but also adding the interesting touch of, you know, there has been proven scientifically that, you know, smoked grilled things oftentimes contain carcinogens. So so the healing process in itself and um, examining how ways that we use food to cope can also be somewhat harmful, you know. Um, I, I, feel I think like you're quite, interesting. I feel like you're interested in, um, you know, these contradictory yeah. impulses. Mm -hmm. But I've seen you write about um, social media, mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, you're a critic a critic of in the work that you do mm -hmm. and you're a user of exactly. in the work that you exactly. do. 
something that I discovered going, um, you know, going through your social media mm-hmm. was some of your really beautiful uh, work. And one of the things that was most poignant to me was a turned wood bowl mm. that um, had many grooves in it, and it was a a ridge spiral, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for you, it was a metaphor for depression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was moving because you're taking something that's three-dimensional, giving it something that's emotional, which has Mm -hmm. no dimension at all, Mm -hmm. but overtakes us, Mm -hmm. and then you put it into words, which was the poetry. And I didn't know if there was a food piece of it, but I was just interested in uh, the way in which you were enveloped by the depression Mm -hmm. and the way in which you worked yourself out of it, because I think um, we're certainly in an age of anxiety, and a close cousin of anxiety is depression. Oh, absolutely. Um, for me, I've, and I even mentioned this in the in the poem, I've struggled with depression for most of my life, and which is very interesting. I mean, I, I think it was like as soon as the hormones kicked in. <laughs> I mean, which is essentially how um, scientifically depression works with chemical imbalances and things of that nature. But, um, yeah, it the... The spiral, to me, was just, um, when you think about a spiral, and when I think of a spiral, I often think of those those little games that they had back in the day that's like a little clear case with a little silver I marble exactly in it. Yeah, I used <laughs> and to play like, all the time. Yeah, and it's just, move, you move it around, and I feel like I don't see them anymore, but um, that, to me, is what I think of when I think of depression. I think of a ball um, that you're just trying to get out of the out of the maze but no matter which way you turn it just seems like you can't really escape it and then some days you get it out and you get the ball out and you're like great I can move on and take a shower and make a meal for myself and be productive and then some days it's like I'm gonna lay in this bed or I am going to um ignore all of the things that I actually need to do and get done and be in the garden. And it's like, I don't know how much I'm going to be trimming this garden. I literally trimmed it yesterday. There's no need for me to be out here. But it's like, well, maybe if I keep looking, I can find another place that I missed to weed or I missed to trim. And it's just finding things to, you know, depression presents in so many different ways and anxiety presents in so many different ways. And you thinking that you're procrastinating could actually be a sign of depression. Um, so I think for me, when I think about um, like my the idea of depression as a spiral, um, and I think people think of it as a downward spiral, but to me it was just like pulling myself up out of the spiral is so much harder to do at times. So I thought of it as an ascent up as opposed to a descent down um, because, you know, just it's something that's very slow. When I think of ascension, I think of it as a slow, gradual thing. And thinking of depression again as a spiral, it just seems dizzying over time and overwhelming. Um, And it's something that I've come to manage with therapy. I tried medication and I did not like the way it made me feel. Um, So for me, I know the things that work are staying physically active and also being conscious of my diet and what I'm eating. Um, And therapy. So therapy was a combination of being physically active, um, creatively active, and also um, just eating well. And not not like being vegan, whatever, but eating like high protein foods that fill me up and make me feel good and energized. And 
fresh veggies and like actually making it myself. That's a way for me to stay engaged with what I'm eating and like my body and what it needs um, and not, you know, falling in the trap. And it's okay if you do every once in a while, but falling in the trap and like ordering a gyro or something, you know, it's, it's, um, it's fine every once in a while. But, you know, for me, I'm just someone that really is really connected to food. So for me cooking it, it really just does help to, um, bring me joy and um, true sustenance in that way where I'm emotionally satisfied, I'm physically satisfied. Um, and it just really, for me, is like the ultimate goal of well-being when it comes to food. So yeah, I mean, that's that's my thought on that. But And some of the work that you do in the garden mm-hmm. is... Um, you know, taking a tomato leaf and <laughs> rubbing it on your skin. Or I'm just yeah. curious, what what salves do you find in the in the garden, and um, how did that begin? Because you are a trained arom- aromatherapist, I was or a- an esthetician. Actually, esthetician. I was a licensed esthetician uh, before I got into food. I was actually working at Red Door Spa, <laughs> um, and I left to go work as a line cook, which. I went from like tranquil, relaxing spa music to <laughs> crazy, hectic, uh, guard manger night. Okay, life. Wait, we have to pause that. <laughs> so, how did you make that choice? That is so different. Um, oh my goodness. I don't know. It was just, I, so I actually made the choice because I gotten, I gotten offered a job to go to Red Door when they were rebranding from the Elizabeth Arden Red Door Spa to Red Door or like Red Door Spas. And they had just opened their new location in Manhattan and they were looking for employees and they had invited me to apply because I was like one of the like uh, higher retention estheticians in the region in the mid-atlantic and they were like please come up we'd love to interview you so i came up did the interview it was beautiful and they wouldn't offer me a relocation stipend and i was just so frustrated by that because um you know they wanted me to move to new york and i think at the time when i looked into it a u-haul from baltimore to new york was like a thousand dollars or something like that and it was just to get into the city now, obviously, I don't have Manhattan money, so I would need to go to Brooklyn. And it was just like, okay, well, I need, like, can I at least, I was like, my relocation should be like three. And they were like, oh, we can't do that. We're like over budget. And I'm like, well, maybe they could just give me a thousand and I'll figure it out. And I was like, well, what about a thousand? And they were like, we cannot give you anything. Like, you'll be making so much more money. Like, the costs of the services are way higher in this market than they are in your market. And I'm like, like yeah. no, I'm gonna go do something else. Yeah, I was like, but I won't have any money. Like, and I won't have anywhere to sleep. And they were like, you can't stay on a stay on a friend's couch. And I was like, why are we having this conversation? Yeah. Like, um, so obviously, I, I stayed. I stayed in Baltimore. I stayed in at the Red Door location that I was at. Um, but I've really been sad because when I was in aesthetic school, that was a goal of mine. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna be a Red Door esthetician, and I'm gonna go to New York, and it's gonna be amazing. And when I had spent so much time with the company for the company and thinking about how the sales and commissions had gone um you know i was like wow they can't even give me a thousand dollars and i do way more than that a week in services and i don't see even a like as like you can't so to me i just like this doesn't make any sense so i decided to stay but also start cooking at home as a stress relief and exploring other options applying to restaurants and people were essentially just like you have no food experience (laughs) like why you're coming from a spa like (laughs) what are you gonna do um so eventually though I did 
get a job at a restaurant that was opening in Baltimore called Le Garage. Started working on the line. That wasn't ideal for me. I learned quickly that line cook life was just not for me. Restaurant life was not for me. Um, and at that time, I had also been doing a Kickstarter for uh, Karma Pop, my first uh, food concept that I had come up with, which is a farm to stick uh, ice pop company. <laughs> That focuses on mid-Atlantic seasonality. So, um, you but know. wait, because at the restaurants they were saying you have no food experience, but clearly you had enough to have a karma pop idea. <laughs> yeah, ahead. yeah. So no, no formal restaurant experience, but definitely coming with creative ideas and you know, you, like you really eager to learn. Ideas, yeah. yeah. Um, so. I got funded, and once I got funded, I... How much did you need to raise on the Kickstarter? 7000 Wow! Yeah, 7000 And the funny thing about Kickstarter is the people that backed me the most were people I will never meet in life. A lot of them were from Canada. A lot of them were from, I don't know, just random strangers across the country. Most of them were people I don't know. And then when it got close to being funded, that's when I was like, guys, we're like $100 away. And that's when all of my friends like were like, oh, okay, this is actually going to be a thing. I should probably I should probably get on board now. So people were like, $5, $5. Like all the $5 were coming in uh, in like a span of an hour, and we, we did it. But um, yeah, so it was a really cool thing. We to exceed the goal. And um, yeah, so then I, I moved on to doing karma pop but um to rewind all the way back the whole aromatherapy thing that was part of my aesthetics training so um in the garden for me i do the fragrance that i'm working on now that i'm so excited about um i do a lot of tinctures i do a lot of scrubs um and the basic scrub for me is just like sugar coconut oil rubbing on your lips like a virgin coconut oil, a little bit of uh, sugar, and then lightly scrubbing your lips with that. I could do that. Yeah, you could do that. <laughs> and actually, like sugar has um, naturally has glycolic acid in it. Obviously, it's not the extreme of like a glycolic pill that you would get in treatment at a spa or a med spa, but um, you know, over time, it could build up and give you a nice, soft, luxurious feeling. So um, currently, like you mentioned, the tomato leaves on the skin, it just you know, the reason I was focusing on a fragrance with tomato as tomato leaf as a note was just thinking about the times that I would be out um, and it would just be really overwhelming for me. And I'd be like, oh, my goodness, um, I wish I was at home in the garden. Like, I, you know, going out to events and being social, those are things I used to really enjoy. And lately I've just become a little bit less um, social um, and more intentional with how I spend my energy and who I share energy and space with and I you know it, it can be draining for me when I go out in social situations and I feel like I'm constantly having to be on and being like hey hi how's it going huh? you know and so I um, was like if I could just take the garden with me if I could take the garden with me and just keep it with me and just be reminded, like, it's just around the corner. You can go home at any time. Um, and also understanding the power of aromatherapy and how it can uplift the mood and, um, you know, calm any anxiety. So I have created a fragrance that should be ready in a few weeks. I would say about four weeks from now um, with tomato leaves, green tea, um, lemon zest and lavender and it's just pretty much like based on an afternoon of gardening and then at the end of gardening, sitting on my back step and drinking iced green tea. <laughs> um, and that's 
that's essentially what the fragrance is about. That's the story behind that. So the feeling of refreshment, the feeling of completion, the feeling of um, just fresh summer air, you know. Um, that is so beautiful. With, <laughs> with, with that, like, I feel refreshed. <laughs> we're going to take um, a pause uh, for a commercial. And when we come back, we're going to talk uh, about black sugar, yeah. food, business, mm-hmm. hardship, mm. and rebirth. Yeah. So stay with us. There's a lot more to hear from Crystal Mack. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Located in New York's Finger Lakes region, Ithaca boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation. As the saying goes, Ithaca is gorgeous. The city is home to 150 waterfalls and gorges sprinkled through its downtown and sloping hillsides. State parks and acres of natural lands offer outdoor recreation for every level of enthusiast. Come stroll among the cool ravines, scenic hiking trails, and natural vistas. Ithaca is home to Ivy League Cornell University and Ithaca College, resulting in an influx of new cultures, new tastes, and new energy every year. There's so much to explore, from art galleries and museums to unique attractions like the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Ithaca sits at the heart of a blossoming heritage and craft cider industry. Some of these delicious ciders can be bought in market, but many of the most unique varieties can only be experienced with a visit to Ithaca and this great cider region. Go to visitithaca.com to get inspired and plan your trip today. This is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly. And my guest today is the extraordinary Crystal Mack. I now have... Um, a rub for my lips. A, a vir- is, it, is coconut oil virgin? There are two types. So there's uh, virgin and non-virgin. Okay, <laughs> okay non-virgin, but it just says coconut oil. Virgin coconut Prostitute. oil. Right. <laughs> the, the, the virgin coconut oil is the coconut oil that has the coconut smell. The oh. extra coconut smell. Like Good to know. And then just regular coconut oil is just pressed... Uh, pasteurized coconut oil. That's so interesting. Anyway, not to distract from what we're about to talk about, but um, I'm ready to get my beauty tips here. So uh, Crystal had an incredible pie company, and it started with a bike. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way like bike and pie have so many of the same letters. There's something about it. Um, but you, you were the first like biped pie company, mm-hmm. at least in uh, Baltimore. Mm-hmm. How did that begin? Um, it began by actually, so Karma Pop came first and a lot of people were, you know, not too thrilled with the idea of financially backing a business that would only be running two months out of the year. Uh. (laughs) And they're like, so what are you going to do the rest of the year with your tricycle? And, you know, my response was, oh, I could sell pies and I'll call it pie cycle. And they were like, oh, okay, great. Here's $10. (laughs) And I was like, okay, now I have to like follow through and like put my baked goods out there and interestingly enough the baked goods took off way more than the ice pops and I guess that was because of the two-month model for karma pop Um, but yeah people were really into the baked goods and so much so that I was eventually approached by developers to have a bakery in a food hall in Baltimore and what kind of pies did you bake oh my goodness Uh, I'm my famous 
famous. My favorite and most famous one, it seems locally, would be uh, my honey lavender pie. It has a really beautiful braided crust <laughs> that I love. It looks like a little braid on the um, around the rim of the pan. Um, but yeah, that was that was my very favorite, and it had a little bit of vanilla bean sea salt on the top and lavender buds as well. That so, sounds beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So um, and just. I had this image in my mind of what a bicycle would be, but did you ride the bicycle? Around? Oh yeah, I rode it around. You did. Yeah, it was 120 pounds with nothing in. 140, excuse me, 140 pounds with nothing in it, and it was only three speeds. <laughs> and if anyone's ever been to Baltimore and rode a bike in Baltimore, you know that it's very hilly, and I did not factor that in. And it was truly a pain. It was a pain. But I will say that was one of the times that... So were you like an ice cream person? Yeah. Like you rang the bell mm -hmm. and then people, all the kids came yeah. or the grown-ups came. Yeah, I would ring a bell. I would yell. Um, and the thing that was cool about that, it was definitely... And I would also announce online. That was like the bigger yell. But then I would show <laughs> up and be like, pie, you know, I'm here with the pie. Come get some. Um, and it was it kind of um, harkened to the days of uh, we have these like fruit and vegetable vendors that ride around Baltimore with horses. They're called A-Rabbers and they ride around with their wooden carts and still? their, yeah, still wow. and their horses. And, um, they, you know, come get your watermelon, come get your bananas, you know, some of it is grown locally. Sometimes they also just get it from like <laughs> the big fruit, dis food distribution place. Um, and then they put it on their, cart and they ride around and they ring the bell and they yell and people come out and buy it so to me it was kind of like a new take on that uh but with baked goods and what kind of neighborhoods all um, over all over uh, the thing that was really successful for me and my business was doing um kind of it's kind of like a critical mass bike thing called bike party um so they would ride around the city and they would release the map like that friday or that friday afternoon and um that Friday night, everyone would ride around the loop of the map for the city, and we would have a midpoint where we'd stop and like everybody like drink some water and then follow back. Um, I'm blanking on how many miles it was, but it was it was pretty intense. I mean, I think I, we would be riding for about two hours or so. Um, excuse me. So yeah, and actually that was what got me um, a lot of support from the biking community. Because um, they were like, well, you're the first person to ever ride along with us. Like, most food vendors, like, come to the beginning and come to the midpoint and the end point. But you rode with us the whole entire time. With a, like, 160-pound bike? Yes. You were <laughs> strong, girl. <laughs> that was, like, the best I ever felt in my life. <laughs> I was, wow. like, super active. And the thing that was cool about that was, um, looking back, there have been so many moments where... I was just really feeling on top of the world and like I mentioned before like staying active is a way for me to manage like my depression so even though like running a business day to day would like get me down and have me overwhelmed and tired when I was actively actually out in the street and like riding my bike I felt on top of the world you know I had all of the endorphins I'm like being in community with people we're getting some sun you know laughing joking hearing feedback about the pie getting ideas about other pies I could be doing possible collaborations it was really something that um made me say like this is exactly what I want I want to be in the community I want to be out with people um I just want to be in conversation about Baltimore and 
you know, food in general and, you know, seeing all these different people from all over and how we all connect. It was it was really something special about it. And then, as you began to say, and I interrupted you, no, no. a developer um, mm-hmm. came to you. Mm-hmm. And they approached me about opening a brick-and-mortar location, but they didn't want it to be called Pie Cycle. They wanted it to be something different. Um, so that was when I created the concept Black Sugar, which I still love to this day. That was like... I see black sugar as like my my little sacrificial lamb in a sense. Like I had to kind of let it go to open up so many more uh, possibilities for myself. Um, but I got into the food hall and um, with good intentions. But I will say I was a little naive about um, the contract that I was entering into, and especially not doing my research with the other tenants and figuring out how much they were paying in rent in comparison to what I was paying in rent. Um, Is that something that one could do? Like, if I mean, I don't, I don't see why not. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like something a, that you you should know. You right? should just know. Yeah. And I and I didn't know the tenants before, so I think at that point in time, it was kind of like they were. We were all in negotiations, so it was kind of like we didn't know who was going to be in the food hall, and they were really trying to keep that under wraps, um, which I understand. You know, just a new project, you don't want everyone to know the details right away. But then when I did realize, you know, once we had been going around for a few months now, and um, I had built relationships with the other tenants. I was like, hey, so how much are you, you know, like having those kinds of conversations? I don't think there was anything wrong with that. Um, but when I found out that we were paying more, it, it definitely um, threw me for a loop, especially because I had access to less. Um, there wasn't a possibility for a proper kitchen in my space. There was no vent. So I had to rent the kitchen in the back of house. But I was only allowed to rent it for three hours a day, every day, um, which there was no way I could bake enough in three hours to be open from 11 to 11, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there were things that, you know, they were like, oh, well, we promise to let you have access more when you need it. And then when those times arose, they were like, no, the, that's for the bar. You know, they owned the bar within the food hall space. So and that was their, like, bread and butter. That's where they were getting the money from. So they definitely prioritized that. Um, I think there are a few people who... Um, were a part of the project that had good intentions um, and were weren't necessarily aware of how um, I my my or black sugar I should say how I was being treated or how um, the contract was structured um, that definitely helped me um, get out of the situation. So I do want to shout them out, but um, oh, so Christianian. <laughs> Hi, Chris, uh, wherever you are, but. Um, he definitely was someone who I have considered an ally um, in regards to um, fighting for me to keep my equipment. That was something that they were almost trying to take away from me. But he was like, you know, we want we want Crystal to be able to walk away um, and create more than what she could before she got into this situation. Um, so he was really supportive in that regard. And I think that... Um, it really gave me an opportunity to find my voice and stand up. You know, I wasn't perfect in that situation. I made mistakes, um, one of them being not fully reading my contract the way I should have, or um, thinking that just because someone saw the good in my concept that they also had the best intentions for me as well. And That's so wise. Yeah. Like, just that phrase, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, yeah. I think that's the thing. I am very vocal about, like, when people do things wrong to me. But I think it also comes off as me being like very innocent in the situation. I'm not innocent. I mean, I had the power to, I signed the contract, you know? 
So um, while it was um, not necessarily the not necessarily well, it was not at all um, the best contract for me. Um, I did enter into the agreement, you know, and call it me me, me being naive or whatever. Um, I, at one point, at some point, I do have to take responsibility, and I am taking responsibility, and I I have taken responsibility. And I think the biggest way I chose to take responsibility was by making my exit out of the food hall. So, um, how hard a choice was that? Oh, it was so hard. Um, and what tipped you? Um, it was really hard for me because it made me feel as though, you know, I now know, looking back, that we aren't the things that we create. But going into it, you know, I become the thing I was crea- I created, you know. You know, I was in Cherry Bomb magazine and, you know, Food and Wine and all this, that, and the other. And it, it really, um, it made me feel, you know, I wasn't doing anything differently than what I was doing before. And the only difference was black sugar. And now it's like people were knocking and it made me think, well, it's black sugar. It's not me. But it's like you created black sugar, Crystal. Of course it is you. Um, um, people were knocking, meaning? Oh, coming, like knocking on the door of like, hey, we, hey, Crystal, like we love what you're doing. We want to feature you. Or we love black sugar. We think it's brilliant. Um, tell us more, you know. So it's. To get to go from being someone who was barely really getting local press every once in a while to getting national press and you know like it's just weird it's strange to and I do um, have a Google alert on my name <laughs> so I just because I want to know like what's happening out there with my name but it's interesting to like wake up one day and be like uh, Crystal Mac on Eaters Baltimore's hottest new restaurants or um, you know, Crystal Mac on USA Today, like, you know, things that it's really weird. And to go from nothing at all to getting all of these things and then thinking to yourself, well, does that mean if I walk away from this, I'm walking away to walking away from a future that could be something really great? You know, I'm, I'm ending in a chance to, you know, sure, these people are explaining me now, but I could turn the tables on them and continue to grow my business and then, you know, eventually leave in five years and have my own thing. And it's like, do you really want to go through all of that, though? Just just bow out. Just walk away. And um, it made me, you know, having that realization, um, I was like, you know, I, I, I got lost. I kind of got lost. I totally missed the whole point. And actually, the funny thing that made me realize I was... I gotten lost was the party that I had constantly done with a Baltimore bike party riding my bike around. They had decided to do one that ended at the food hall one time. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to whip out the bike. I'm going to bring it and leave it in the like the garage where they were meeting up. And I'll be out there and I can do all of the old classics, like all of my old pies. And I'll get to like see people that I haven't seen in a long time. And it was so busy that I could not get away from the stall. I could not get away from the bake shop. And it just really crushed me. And I was like, this is supposed to be about community. And I can't even interact with the guests that are coming to the stall. I'm like busy baking in the background and all of my employees are interacting with them. Or when, you know, guests would come by and be like, oh, hey, Crystal. And I'm like, hey, guys, like, I can't talk. I'm busy, which is natural. But So what did you decide, having gone through that process, what did you decide the point was? Like, what did you rediscover about yourself that set you on the road to what seems to be such a good place for you, which is Um, as a culinary artist? The thing that I discovered about myself is that um, community comes in all different forms. And... I do not need to um, 
community comes in all different forms and that I am in control of my narrative. Those are two, the two key things that came to me. So um, for me, choosing to do our house, um, choosing to have my space in that food hall, it was about me building more of a, com- a connection to the food community in Baltimore. For a long time, I always felt like I was on the outside looking in because I did not have a brick and mortar. And I was actually fine with not having one. Um, but, you know, as I'm sure many people listening have felt if you don't have a brick and mortar location there's a sense that you're not serious there's Mm -hmm. a sense that you are not um, someone to be even taken seriously even if you are serious but you're just kind of like a pop-up and it can hurt um, but with that in mind um, and now knowing that that's not the reality and knowing that community comes in all different forms I understood that I didn't need to change who I was to be a part of a community that didn't necessarily want to embrace me in the way wholeheartedly that they should have um, and actually support me and uplift me instead of exploit me so I um, I feel like that's an amazing conclusion to come to because it, it releases you to yeah to follow really anything yeah. that you feel personally committed to and you can create your own community and your own future. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to ask you to teach me something. Mm. What are you going to teach me? Teach you something. Um, oh, I know what I can teach you. So the same scrub that you would use on your lips, you can also use as a scalp exfoliant. Ooh, I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Mm-hmm. So you would take about, I would say about a third of a cup of coconut oil and uh, about two tablespoons of sugar and pour that over top, kind of get it into like a little slurry in your bowl, um, the coconut oil over top of the sugar and take that, and this is before you shampoo obviously. Um, and not obvious to me. So it's <laughs> you said that. Uh, take a part your hair. I would do parting your hair in sections of four, and like kind of slightly mas- massage your scalp with the coconut oil sugar mixture, um, and just really lightly get in there. And the warm water will dissolve the um, sugar, and the coconut oil will act as like a preconditioner to your hair and your scalp. It's really nourishing. And also coconut oil has uh, probiotics in it that are really good if it's nice, good quality coconut oil. Um, so yeah, that's a really nourishing I'm good. treatment. I want to try that. Okay. Yeah, try it. <laughs> and um, last question of the show, I always pay it forward to mm-hmm. an extraordinary woman who hasn't been heard from as much as she should to put a spotlight on someone uh, we all need to know about. Uh, who would you like to give a shout out to? Ooh, just one. <laughs> um, let's see. I would like to give a shout out to the lovely Hannah Spiegelman. Uh, she was a former employee of mine who's gone on to do great things. She has an ice cream business called A Sweet History, and she's currently a gastronomy student at the University of Boston. Amazing. (laughs) Okay. Well, with that, we conclude this um, episode of Speaking Broadly. Where can people find you, uh, Crystal? Um, Yeah. So if you're ever in Baltimore, please hit me up. And you can hit me up by going on Instagram at Crystal, K-R-Y-S-T-A-L, the letter C, and Mac, M-A-C-K. So Crystal C. Mac is my Instagram handle. That's the best way to reach me. You'll find my email and everywhere, everything else on there as well. That's great. And you guys know where to find me uh, at Speaking Broadly on Insta. And thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you hear, go to 
iTunes or other places where you can find podcasts and subscribe for more wisdom from remarkable women. Have a really great week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.